right. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Or you can actually turn to Romans 12. We'll pray and then we'll get started. Father, we thank you so much again for your word, Lord. We just pray you bless this time. Go before us. Speak to us, Lord, as we look to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're doing the greatest stories ever told. I'm going to stand for this because I'm going to bring some energy. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you guys a, an abridged version of what I'm going to share tomorrow at chapel. So I get to share chapel to all of the 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th graders at Whittier Christian High School. It'll be the seniors' last chapel, so an opportunity to send them off into the world. And so the Lord has put an awesome uh, just message on my heart, something deep to be able to share with them. Uh, our kids are going through incredible things, unfortunately, and fortunately, I mean, there's some neat things that they have uh, ahead of them, but there's some destructive things as well that I think the Lord wants them to be aware of. Their theme scripture for the year is Romans 12, 1 and 2. The Bible says, I beseech you, therefore, my brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So that's their theme scripture. I'll open up with the theme scripture. I'm going to eventually end up breaking down the book of Romans leading up to chapter 12. So um, a quote that I remember hearing from Ravi Zacharias, he says that our culture is one that is uh, that is, let's see, I wrote it down. We are a culture that is thinking with their, our eyes and we are listening with our feelings. So we are a culture that is thinking with our eyes. So we've checked our brain out the door. Right? Our mind is no longer engaged. It's whatever they're able to take in through the eye gate, that experience, is telling them truth or lies. And that's unfortunate, right? And we are listening with our feelings. So it's not what's being said, it's how it makes me feel. It's not the truth of something, it's how I feel about it, right? And so how would you communicate to a group like that? How would you communicate to a group that has grown up like that? And it's not their fault. They're in the culture. It's not their fault. They didn't make the culture. They didn't choose to be born when they would be born. And so as communicators of the truth, of communicators of the gospel, of communicators of individuals who want to declare God's message to them, to young people, we got to make sure that we understand what's going on in the culture. And we got to be able to bring a message that is relevant to them. And so the Lord gave me two visions, two pictures, word pictures. The first one, I remember sharing it at church, but the first one is especially as it relates to 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th graders. 12th graders, a little something different, but definitely those who are in high school. And so I saw this picture of a lake, and everyone is in the lake, in the water, and they're frolicking and having fun, and it's just life, right? Life is represented by this lake. But under the lake are alligators. And there are casualties when alligators get a hold of people. So there's limbs being cut off and there's digits being lost and there's toes being chopped off and some people maybe even legs and full things, right? But everyone's acting like everything's okay and there's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of pain because of the things that they're experiencing earlier 
and earlier and earlier. And so the enemy has robbed our youth of their innocence earlier and earlier and earlier. A lot of it has to do with the internet. The statistics for pornography in high schoolers is devastating. It's in the 90, high 80, 90 percentile for the boys and above 60 for the girls. And so a lot of, of innocence is being lost at a very young age. And the casualty of that is what they're experiencing. The second vision or word kind of uh, picture, because remember, they're thinking with their eyes. And so I thought, well, it'd be good to give them a word picture, right? To give them a, a visual of what's taking place in their culture. And this is true, especially for the seniors. And again, I shared this one at church, I remember, but imagine a group of individuals standing on a cliff and down that cliff is just cascading rocks and just to fall is death. There's, there's no way around it, right? And so as everyone is being kind of lured to the edge of the cliff to look and see, it looks like people may be having fun as they're falling down because they're screaming as they go down. And it kind of looks like, well, maybe I should try it, not understanding that that fall is going to lead to your death. And unfortunately, statistically, if the statistics pan out, many of these Christians who are at this high school, born in Christian home, raised as Christians, will walk away from the faith because they'll go after something else other than Jesus. And many of them will go to their death, unfortunately, to the end of their life, not realizing that they went too far. And so remember when God told Adam and Eve in the garden that in the day that they partake of the, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they will die, right? And they didn't die immediately that day, but they died spiritually because they lost their connection with God. No longer were they in that state of innocence. So with that, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. And I want to communicate that God's not trying to point down at you and say, hey, don't, don't be loving the world. And, and he's got a lightning bolt in his hand and he just wants to zap you every time you get out of line. He's letting you know, don't love the world because that system of the world is set up by the enemy of your soul. And he wants to rob you. He wants to kill you. He wants to destroy you. So it's not a game. When he's saying don't love the world, he means the system of the world that is led by Satan. And so there are things out there that you're gonna want to Try and dabble with. Be careful as you get away from the things of God. And so as we look at this idea of Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, again, my desire is to break down somewhat the book of Romans. If you know nothing about the Bible, there are 66 books in the Bible, 39 Old Testament books, 27 New Testament books, and there's probably no greater altitude in the Bible than the book of Romans. It's like you're ascending a mountain and you get to the top of that mountain at Romans 8. By the way, chapters 1 through 8 are all doctrinal. And so it's all doctrine leading up to chapter 8. And then you get to chapter 8 and it's like you hit this, this plateau as you're climbing, climbing, climbing. And then it levels off. And then chapters 9, 10, and 11 are prophetic. 
They speak of Israel's future. Actually, past, present, and future. Then you get to 12 and you hit the highest peak. And from 12 to 16, the book of Romans is applicable or application. Okay? And so when we read Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says, I beseech you, therefore, anytime you see the word therefore in the Bible, you have to ask yourself, what is it there for? And the therefore is the wherefore. The therefore is everything that came before it, right? And so he's saying, I beseech you, I'm begging you, I'm pleading with you, I'm, I'm, I'm asking you, therefore. And that's what he says, I beseech you, therefore. And so if we were to follow the book of Romans from chapters 1 through 12 as just a foundation, chapter 1 shows that the whole world is guilty, starting with the heathen. I mentioned earlier that I, I'm a heathen. I was born a heathen. My family was hedonistic, if you will. We were unchurched, untaught in things spiritual. We really didn't have a very good foundation of God and the Bible and truth and religion. Uh, we were pseudo-Christians, and I say pseudo because being Hispanic, you almost fall into that category of just, well, we want to identify with something, so we might as well call ourselves Catholics, but we were not Catholics in any sense of the word. I never had a first communion or um, a confirmation or, you know, I never was an altar boy or went to, you know, Catholic church. It's just a default thing. In fact, Catholicism for a lot of Hispanics, especially in Puerto Rico, where both of my parents were born, goes from Catholicism to the worship of saints. And in Spanish, that's called Santeria. In English, that's Santeria. Okay? But it's the worship of saints because saints are elevated and saint worship is elevated in some uh, places in Roman Catholicism. And so they don't know any better. There's just as many statues of saints as there would be Jesus and Mary. And so if that's not getting it for you, uh, unfortunately, you go from Catholicism to Santeria to something called witchcraft in Spanish, brujería. And my mom was a practicing witch. My mom was actually a witch who did spells and incantations and different kind of things. So as I was growing up, this was my introduction to things spiritual. This is what I got to see. We would oftentimes, if she was doing some hocus pocus in the house, and that's what I'll call it because that's what I, I, I you know, noticed it as, but if she was doing some hocus pocus in the house, we got kicked out. But we knew that when the, that one friend came over and stuff was going to go down, we were going to be out of the house for two to three hours. And so we would just get kicked out. Mom would do her thing. And growing up in that kind of environment, I noticed it had an effect. My brother at 16 years old ran away from home and ran away from home to move in with his boyfriend in Hollywood, California. And he would end up through a promise, promiscuous lifestyle of sex with guys and girls and drugs, end up getting AIDS. And so my brother would die at a very young age. He would actually be about 23, 24 years old, 1987. And so my mom would lose her first son through a hedonistic, pleasure-driven lifestyle. My second brother, who would die at age 53, died two years ago, 19, uh, 2015, February. And he was the male role model in my life. He was the, the man that meant something to me. And he was in the gangs. And so almost uh, the opposite spectrum where you had one move into one lifestyle, the other one moved in this entire just opposite roughneck, hardcore lifestyle. And 
he lost a very, very good job, and that caused him to go into a, a, a deep funk. He had two very, very good jobs. He worked for Firestone Corporation, and then after they closed the shop in Southgate, he went to GM, and he worked at GM, and he had a very good job. Well, they shut that down, and he went into a funk, and he started what would end up being a 13-year heroin addiction. And so that heroin addiction, unfortunately, did more damage to his liver than he thought it actually did. He would come out of it and live some years after that, but two years ago, he would uh, go to the doctors, throw a pain in his stomach, and the doctor gives him about two months and says, basically, you have liver, it's an op- uh, you have cancer of the liver, it's inoperable, there's nothing we can do, shut him back up, and basically he went home to die. And so that's the effects of a hedonistic lifestyle. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And, you know, we think when we're doing it, and again, remember, I'm talking to high schoolers, you know, we think, well, what's, what's the harm? Is my body, I could do with my body whatever I want, but God loves you, and God has a plan for you, and he's not a killjoy. He's not trying to rob you of fun. And so me and my two brothers living for fun, why God chose to take them and spare me? Only an act of God's grace and his, and his favor in my life. There's no reason why I should be alive. I'll share one story. I don't know if I'll share it tomorrow, but I will share it with you guys. I was driving down the street one day, and I'm about 19 years old. And I have my buddy in the front seat and my uh, three girls in the back seat. We're on our way to a club. I don't know God. And I'm, before I came to God, I'm just an idiot. I, I don't know how else to explain it. I don't know how else to describe it. But I'm just, I'm just, I'm just a bad human being. It's 19 years of just living for pleasure and living for self and just, ah, I'm lost. I'm as lost as a human being can be. Well, this guy noticed in my rearview mirror, I ever share this story? This is crazy. This guy, I'm looking in my rearview mirror and this guy tries to pass me on the right side of the street. It's a two-lane highway. I remember it as if it was just last week. I'm on Atlantic Boulevard uh, going uh, northbound coming up to Gage, right there where the police station is in the city of Bell, went to Bell High School. And so I'm driving, and I could see in my rearview mirror, this guy, instead, the lane to the left was clear. But he doesn't want to go to the left. He's going to pass me on the right where cars park. And there's a first interstate bank. I'm dating myself, right? Because there are no first interstate banks anymore. But there was a first interstate bank to the right. And he tries to pass me. So what do I do? Of course, I gun the car, accelerate. And we're racing, but he has a car that's parked. And so he's either going to hit the car or stop, or crash into me. He skirt, barely misses it, has to back up, comes around, and now I'm at the red light at Atlantic and Gage. And I put my window down, and I go, ah, and I laugh, and I point my finger in his face. And he pulls out a gun. I think it was a Magnum, because it looked about this big. It was probably this big, but it looked about this big. And it's pretty much in my face. He's, he's, on the driver's side, but he goes like this, and the window's down, and I'm like, big man with a gun. Ooh, what are you going to do? And he points it down at the car, and pow, pow, two shots. And I'm like, whoa, really scared, guy. You're shooting a car. You're bad. And then at that moment, I guess some sense of sense kicks into my mind, and I'm thinking, Johnny... You're an idiot, but you have somebody's three daughters in the back seat of your car, and you got your best friend sitting next to you. 
Why don't you just get out of here? So I make a right turn, and this guy is chasing me, gun out the window, shooting at us as we are trying to escape. And he's pop, 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 just shot after shot. And I'm like, man, this guy's crazy. So finally, we get away. Of course, we still go to the club because, you know, you got a party, right? And so we get there, and I'm like, you know what? I'll bet you those were probably blanks, huh? I mean, because he shot it all up, right? And I never heard anything or in the movies, you know, you hear pew, pew or something, right? And so I'm thinking, oh, man, he got us good, though. We were scared for a little while, right? And so we get out the car and we're going to go into this club and the car is riddled with bullet holes. There was one bullet that hit the back dash. It went through in between where the window ends and the uh, trunk is. There's a little strip of metal and a bullet goes through there and the, uh, the back uh, dash was like a, is a felt, a piece of felt and you can see the bullet lodged right there one inch higher and it takes a girl out in her neck because there's three girls sitting in the back. And I looked at that and I'm thinking, wow. And of course you forget about it and move on and life is nothing. And I think this idea of the Bible saying that the wages of sin is death I mean, there's a lot of things that we don't know that God can keep us from, but I look at my two brothers' lives, gone as far as I was concerned, way too early. One at 24 years old, the other one at 53 years old. That was way too early for somebody to go. But why didn't I go? I, I, I don't know. I could have easily have gone, right? But for whatever reason, God allowed me to stay back. And so when... Chapter 1 in Romans teaches that all are guilty. It starts with the heathen. Chapter 2 goes to the hypocrite. And unfortunately, when you grow up in a religious environment with people who have a code of conduct, there's a lot of hypocrisy because they're trying to live by a moral code or a standard, but they're trying to do it in their own strength. And a lot of times they're like telling people how to live, but they're not even following the rules that they're telling you. And so the, in chapter 2, the book of Romans teaches that the hypocrite is guilty. The person that is looking down at somebody, oh, he's gay, but he's a gangbanger. So my brother, my older brother gave my younger brother or my middle brother a hard time because he was gay, but you're a gangbanger. My, my actually older brother went to prison for murder. And so which one was better? That's a hypocrite, right? A person that looks down on somebody, but they don't even have a, li- a right life. Okay. So the Hypocrite and the heathen, the heathen, chapter one, the hypocrite in chapter two. Chapter three shows us that the Hebrew or the religious person is guilty. And so a lot of people think, well, I'm, I'm good. You know, I go, I go to a church that has a good name and, and I'm okay. Well, chapter three shows, no, you're not. Just because you're religious doesn't mean that you're going to heaven. God calls all guilty. Everyone is guilty. When he gets to chapter four in the book of Romans, He starts showing Abraham as the father of the faith. And what he does is he's trying to go way back to the very beginning of the faith to show that the just shall live by faith. And it says in chapter four of the book of Romans that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. In fact, in the book of Romans chapter four, it would say that if you don't believe but you think you can work your way to heaven, your works are not counted as, as, as anything but debt with God. 
And so it shows even there the beginnings of God's idea for anybody who would spend eternity with him in heaven are only those who would believe and walk by faith and trust in the finished work of God. When you get to chapter 5, he contrasts two guys, the first Adam and the second or the last Adam. And so Adam, one man, would bring sin into the world, while the second Adam would take that sin away, speaking of Jesus Christ. When you get to chapter 6, he shows that everybody is a slave. You will either be a slave to righteousness or a slave to sin. And we get to make the choice. Am I going to surrender and submit to God and use this body that he's given me as a slave to righteousness to glorify God? Or am I going to submit to sin and go my own way and be a slave to that? When you get to chapter 7, there's this battle between the spirit and the flesh that Paul says, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, those are the very things I find myself doing. And then he asks a great question. Who can deliver me from this body of death? And then he says, I thank God in Jesus Christ who has set me free. And then he gets to chapter eight. And oh, I love chapter eight. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation. The verse goes on to say, for those who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit, not in the original language. That doesn't come until verse four in the original language. But the translators in English thought, we can't let that stand alone. That's too good to be true. Wait, hold up. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, period. Yeah, that's actually what the Bible teaches. That's actually what the Bible says in the original Greek. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's incredible because guess what? We will make mistakes and we will stumble and we will be imperfect, but we're perfect in Christ. We're perfectly righteous in Christ and we're perfectly set free from the requirements of the law in Christ. In chapters 9, 10, and 11, he looks at Israel's past, Israel's present, and Israel's future. And then we come to the verse that is your theme verse, their theme verse, for the whole year, I beseech you therefore, brethren. He's talking to Christians. Paul didn't find this church in Rome. It was a Gentile church, and he would eventually end up going there. He tells them that he wants to go there. But he's writing to a Gentile church, the apostle to the Gentiles, and he's talking to a group of believers. And he's saying, by the mercies of God. To understand mercy, you have to have the word just or justice. So mercy is not getting, or justice is getting what you deserve, right? Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. And so he's saying by the mercies of God, by the fact that God's not going to give you what you deserve. Isn't that awesome? We deserve <laughs> probably a lot of not good stuff. But by the mercies of God, he's saying that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. And so what we are to do as Christians is we lay our bodies on the altar for God's glory every day. And if we mess up today, we got a new day tomorrow. But we lay our bodies as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice. What's the problem with a living sacrifice? It wants to jump off the altar every once in a while, right? Ooh, hot, uncomfortable. 
right? We don't want to die, right? But God is calling us as Christians to die by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. So this is the thing that is set apart to God and he accepts it as we present our bodies. And then he says, which is your reasonable service? In the original, it means this is the least thing that you can do after all that God has done for you. Do you want to show God that you're grateful? Do you want to show God that you are thankful? Then you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. It's the least reasonable thing that you can do. And then he says, and do not be conformed to this world. So don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. And that's where that do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him, right? The lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. But the world is passing away. So if we are not conforming to this world, he says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that's a process that's going to take us until we go home to be with God. The renewing of our mind is a constant washing of the word with our mind. And what God is doing is he's transforming us. The process is called sanctification, set apart from the world, but set apart to God and his service and what he wants to do with these bodies. So, we renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God's will is good. God's will is perfect. And God's will is acceptable. And that's what we should be living for. That's what we should be striving for. That's what we should want to be in the center of. We don't want to skirt around the permissible edges of God's will. We want to be in the center of God's will, the safest place on earth. And so his will is good, it's acceptable, and it's perfect. That's my story, and I'm pretty much sticking to it. Questions, comments, concerns. We just took you through my favorite book in the whole Bible, the book of Romans. Twelve chapters. You guys get home and somebody asks you, hey, what'd you do today? Study twelve chapters in the book of Romans. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and that was a man. It, you cannot read or study the book of Romans and not be transformed. Every time I teach it, I want to get saved again. Can I get saved, Jesus? I just want to get saved. Woo! Yeah, Romans is rich, it's deep, it's good. So I challenge you guys spend some time in it. Ronnie. So Paul, Paul wrote Romans? Yes. The Apostle Paul, the Apostle to the Gentiles who struggled with that call. But yes, I was told um, in a study that he was probably the greatest mind in his time. Powerful. Three books break down a, a, a verse in the Old Testament, the book of Habakkuk, and it's the just shall live by faith. Romans breaks down the just and shows us who are justified in the eyes of God. Who will stand before God? The book of Romans teaches us that very well. The book of Galatians also quotes that verse, as does the book of Romans, but the book of Galatians, and it shows us how we shall live. We live by the Spirit. We live by walking in the Spirit. And then the book of Hebrews breaks down by faith. So it's kind of neat. There's an Old Testament book, the just shall live by faith. And then there's three books in the, Old, in the New Testament that break that down into three sections. Who are the just? How shall we live? And what is faith? Hebrews shows us that. So I think that's kind of neat. Amen.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word, Lord. And uh, Father, as just uh, something that you've placed upon my heart to be able to share with the high schoolers, I pray, Father, that you would even prepare hearts now. Father, that hearts would be open to receive this incredible love message that you have, but also with the warning, Lord, of what this world wants to do and the plan that the enemy has. And so I pray, Father, that uh, you would speak. I pray, Father, that you would uh, just draw people near you. I pray, Father, that there would be commitments to walk with you and just to come and taste and see that you are good. And so thank you so much, Lord, for the open door opportunities that you give us. I pray, Father, that we would do nothing more than point people to you. And so thank you so much for the opportunities. Continue to be with us, Lord, as we uh, just look to you. In Jesus' name, amen.